Welcome to episode 22 of All Car Leasing's podcast, All Car Radio, the number one best voted car leasing podcast, and that's not our opinion, that is the opinion of uh, our reviewers on iTunes, so thank you very much for the positive feedback. Today's um, topic, we're going to run down, similar to what we did with the car racing games, we're going to run down the top 25 list of the best driving films of all time, and the way that we've done this is that it's uh, not our opinion strictly, we've used... Um, Meta, no, IMDB, the Internet Movie Database, to find out the top 25 ranked, uh, but we've also watched all 25 ourselves, just to double check that they are true. Um, before I begin proper, I just wanted to say that the Black Friday deal slash Slyber Monday deal is now over, so, well, thanks everyone who took advantage of that deal, and well done for all those savings. Uh, but do keep an eye on for our Christmas deals, which are obviously running on the website live right now. Chris will tell you a bit more about that later on. Uh, but we also have uh, the usual Q&A uh, bit after this, as well as a rundown a couple of the latest view reviews that we've done. Um, so without further ado, let's just get into it. So in at 25 is the Italian job, the two... Uh, 2003 version with Marky Mark Warburg. That was a remake, wasn't it? Yes, uh, but it was actually a faithful remake. It scored 7.0 on IMDb. And a bit of context on the IMDb scores. There isn't a single film on IMDb that has ever got 10. So although 7 is missing, obviously, three points from being perfect, 7 and above means that you are likely to have a really good time. So every single one of these films on the list is a very good film, even the one that is technically last place. Just to put a bit of context. But anyway, back to the Italian job 2003. So many people are actually nervous when an American remake is coming about, especially when it was a British film back in 69. But what resulted was a very well-received homage to the classic, which was praised for its action sequence, modernisation and being faithful to the original. It is, at the core, a classic heist storyline with characters you can really get to grips with in a modern setting. Remakes are always tricky, but we're pleased... This one was done right, uh, but will the original rank higher? You'll have to stay tuned for the entire podcast for that. Uh, at 24 is Taxi, the 1998 film by Luke Besson. This also got a, a 7 um, on the IMDb website. Stars Sami Nasseri, Frederick Diefenthal and Marianne Cotillard. Next, <laughs> so it's a fresh French comedy classic which sees ex-record-breaking pizza delivery man Daniel Morales embark on a new career as a taxi driver, get this, in a white Peugeot 406. Obviously, it is a French film, so that's not a surprise. To be honest with you, the 406 actually was a quite a popular car anyway. I feel sorry what the transporter turned into. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, it is an all-out driving caper, which sees Daniel get involved with criminals and using his incredible driving skills, avoid the law while getting from A to B in blistering speed. Uh, the film was a box office success and critics reviewed it favourably, including the All Carleasing Official Film Classification Board. Um, 23rd is a film that most people have heard of, perhaps not everyone's seen, because it is quite an old film now. That's Smokey and the Bandit, which stars Burt Reynolds, Sally Field, Jerry Reed and Jackie Gleason. <clears throat> Brilliant film, that. One of my favourites. Yes, so it is a 77 action comedy film with a heavy emphasis on driving, with Burt Reynolds' character Bo Darvill keeping the police busy, while Jerry Reed's Cletus Snow transports 400 cases of product placement time, cause, um, across the country. I'm not sure if someone could get away with having a product placement like that 
these days. Uh, but uh, the film features one of the most iconic American muscle cars of all time, perhaps on the back of this film, to be fair, the Pontiac Trans Am. The film was a sleeper hit, believe it or not. It wasn't a success at the time. It oh, was on TV, wasn't it? Yeah, and it wasn't a blockbuster, but over time it grossed $300 million from a budget of only $4.3 million. The film was praised for being an all-out fun flick from start to finish, giving a broad appeal whether they were fans of driving films or not. It spawned two sequels, but the less said about those, uh, the better. Mm, definitely. So, uh, 22, we've got Death Proof. Uh, that scored 7 out of 10 on IMDb, so still a decent score. Uh, that stars Kurt Russell, Zoe Bell and Rosario Dawson. Uh, Death Proof is a Tarantino, well, Tarantino's homage to 1970s slasher muscle car films. It seems uh, Russell's stuntman Mike McKay uses his Death Proof car uh, to stage the murders of several women uh, until he finally meets his match in Zoe Bell and Rosario Dawson. The famous cars in the film are a 1970 Chevy Nova and a 1969 Dodge Charger. Uh, Death Proof is oftentimes bonkers and gory, and one of the more over-the-top flicks that Tarantino has ever made. Uh, but it's a film that actually mixed reviews. Um, it even broke even in the box office, but one that sort of lives in people's memories as a proper homage to Grindhouse cinema, like low-budget yeah. horrors. Yeah. Uh, however, if you find Tarantino and you're into cars, can't really go wrong with Death Proof. Yeah, and Tarantino, it, it was already a fan of that, so it is a homage, but to be fair, even though it got a score of seven from IMDb, um, and it is it is actually a good film, um, it's usually when people create lists of like best Tarantino films of all time. This generally doesn't get into the top ten. Yeah, I think the more recent ones he's done are just more high profile. It feels to me with this film that if you're a fan of Tarantino, um, this is a good film. But if you're a fan of driving films. Maybe not so much. It's like halfway, isn't it, really? Yeah, yeah. So up at 21, we've got Holy Motors. Uh, a bit of a bonkers film. It didn't really. It's not really about cars, but cars do feature quite heavily. Uh, Holy Motors is regarded somewhat as a French-German cinema masterpiece, and perhaps not the only film we'd expect in the list, but expect to be thrilled and mesmerised by Dennis Lavant's performance as he takes you through a thrilling tour de force. This is no Fast and Furious, so B1, but that did score 10.1 out of 10 on IMDb. Yeah, and there's a couple of films like Holy Motors that are going to be coming uh, further on in the list. That if you're Googling um, best driving films of all time and, I'll, 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 and this article comes up, this is probably not what you were actually searching for, but nevertheless, it is a car that has a big emphasis on cars, and technically, it is a driving film, yeah. but it's not. It's not made for, like, specifically with that driving. Yeah, car. yeah, definitely. I suppose it's a bit like what the Fast and Furious is now. It's, it's an action film, but it just features cars heavily. Mm, yeah. Um, so next up at 20 is Locke, and that was in 2013. Now, a lot of people might have heard of it, because it's featuring uh, Olivia Coleman and Ruth Wilson. But we're so surprised that more people don't know about Locke, to be honest. Like, a film that was critically acclaimed and well-received with high marks from most of the mainstream press. Obviously, with Tom Hardy as the lead role, He's a man with dark past who, during an hour and a half drive from Birmingham to London, has 36 speakerphone conversations with the important people in his life. Uh, the entire film is set in Locke's car, and although it may not be the fastest or exciting drive, it's certainly one of the most gripping. It's well worth a watch. It's a bit like Reservoir Dogs, set in one, all in one room. You would go to uh, Locke to see the driving equivalent. Yeah, and again, similar to Holy, Holy Motors, this probably isn't what you are thinking of when you think of a driving film, but nevertheless... He's in the car for the, almost the entire film. 
so it couldn't be anything other than a driving film. But a score of 7.1 is very good. Um, anyway, 19, and people are probably wondering when is this or when is this series going to enter at the first time? And here it is. So Fast and Furious 6 is um, the first Fast and Furious. Spoiler alert. Um, but the first entry from the highest grossing driving film of franchise of all time is the sixth. Fast and Furious 6 scenes uh, Dwayne Johnson's Hobbs character reassemble the Furious, quote Max, can't see, obviously through the microphone, um, Dominic and Brian to track down a team of mercenaries in exchange for amnesty from their criminal past. Fast and Furious 6 was praised for its high-speed driving action. Spoiler alert. This may not sound like a surprise, but considering every Fast film has action sequence, it takes a hell of a lot of effort to keep pleasing returning audiences. Um, this was, obviously, a box office success, raking in a mo monster. 800 million from 160 million budget. That's why they keep making them. And this is one of the best driving films where speed and high-performance cars are the focal points. So perhaps this is the type of film that you're probably searching for if you've landed on this article. And I just want to touch on what I've just mentioned there, that considering how many Fast and Furious films are on the uh, like have been made, most of them have actually scored quite well. And that is no mean feat when you consider how do you keep redoing the formula for people who have seen... It's like Saw films, for example. Yeah. Their scores just plummeted... Uh, with every uh, incarnation, but in general, Fast and Furious just got better and better. Um, anyway, 18th is Two Lane Blacktop, which got an IMDb score of 7.2 out of 10, stars James Taylor, Warren Oates, Laurie Bird, um, and is from 1971. And this film is a back-to-basics driving film for those who have a love of old-school American muscle. We've already got one of those in the list. This is an synopsis of this film, simple. <clears throat> Two men drag racing across America in a 55 Chevy. What more do you need if you're into your muscle cars? Although it was not commercially successful, uh, but it did gain cult status over time, which is a recurring theme with a lot of driving racing films throughout the ages. Critically, it was very well received, with many critics citing its excellent direction, uh, score, <clears throat> undertones of counterculture. There's a couple of counterculture driving films in this list. Um, in at 17 is The Driver. Uh, another 70s film, this time 1978, which got a score of 7.2 on IMDb, stars Ryan O'Neill, Bruce Dern, and Isabel Adjani. Driving the Driver, sorry, is another classic driving film with an emphasis on the driver and not so much the car. The Driver sees Ryan O'Neill play a getaway driver who has fallen under the suspicion of a detective played by Bruce Dern. Isabel Adjani plays a distraction which helps the driver get away with it. Back in 78, Driver uh, getaway driving films were not as common as they are today uh, and helped influence other films such as Drive and Baby Driver. At the time, this was neither a critically acclaimed film or a box office success, which is strange uh, considering it now is a critically acclaimed film. Mm. So pe perhaps people in hindsight saw, oh, yeah, actually, it was a good film now that you put the context of other driving films. Possibly that progressively aired over the past few years or decades or so. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but time has been kind and has now achieved. So, number 16 is Speed, featuring Keanu Reeves. That scored 7.2 out of IMDb, similar to the other ones. Um, also stars Dennis Hopper and Sandra Bullock. Uh, Speed came out in... When did it come out? 94. 94. So, semi-recently. Uh, everyone's probably heard or seen Speed, because it was a massive 90s hit. Yeah, I remember it. But yeah. it, it's <coughs> um, a bomb, a bomb rig bus, but Speed saw Reeves' character trying to stop the bomber from detonating a bus full of passengers. Uh, the bomb will go off if the bus goes below 50 miles per hour. The entire film is pretty much based around that premise, so like a non-stop vehicular roller coaster that 
keeps his videos on the edge of the seats from start to finish. Uh, it's a high octane thrower that smashed smashed it at the box box office, raking in three hundred and fifty million dollars on a thirty dollar budget. Thirty million. Thirty million dollars. Yeah. <laughs> With a typo there, God. Um, this is technically both a racing film and a driving film all in one, despite cars not really being part of the film. Uh, it is absolutely a driving film and a must watch. Yeah, yeah, I remember actually when it came out because I would have been uh, four, about seven or eight, and it really is non-stop. But I didn't think it was a, a film that critics would... I, I thought it was like it's one of those films that viewers would watch, mm. but critics would be like, well... Because Ken Reeves, you know, Wasn't his films are great, then? but he, he's not the best actor in the world, is he? No, no, no I suppose. Not not in terms of, like, massive award-winning, but films like John Wick and stuff, very, very simple. Films. I know, but he doesn't do much acting in John Wick. Yeah, yeah. That's true, the thing. I'll give you that, yeah. Oh, um, yeah. What about The Matrix? He doesn't do much acting in that either. Oh, well, <laughs> fair enough then. <laughs> anyway. So, uh, no, I'll say that, yeah. So, number 15 is Vanishing Point in 1971. That stars Byron Newman, Cleveland Little and Charlotte Rampling. Uh, Vanishing Point is described as an American-German noir, neo-noir action road film. Uh, if it doesn't grab you, I don't know what will, because the basic premise is that Newman's character, Kowalski, delivering hot rods for a living with highway cops always right behind him. Um, initially, it was not well received by critics, but it was a box office success, making $12 million from a $1 million budget. However, the film aged very well and has gained cult status over the years and sits as one of the finest examples of driving cinema. Mm. Yeah. Vanishing Point's a title that I've heard quite a lot. Um, I don't actually remember it though. I've probably seen bits of it, but I can't remember. Well, it's quite an old film now, and obviously when you go back to in time when it comes to, to films, some of them don't age particularly well. It's a good film, but I suppose it's not like the Fast and Furious franchise, which is what the standard is. Funny you mention that because the next film at fourteen is Fast and Furious. Well, Furious Seven. So as far well, as the second film in the list, and uh, you've heard it all before. But is maybe... that the one where? Paul Walker, is that Paul Walker's last? I think it is, actually, yeah. So, quite a sad ending to that one. Um, so, in the film, there was obviously Vin Diesel, Paul Walker, and Dwayne Johnson, and they had uh, Paul Walker's brother, I believe, CGI in mm, yeah, to, to yeah. patch over some scenes at the end of the film. Um, but the second Fast and Furious film to feature on our list uh, is the seventh, which goes to show that long-running series with loads of sequels can really continue to get better, and that only have their quality degrade just, uh, just to make a, a box office smash. So, Fury 70 is Jason Statham's Shaw seek revenge against the Furious uh, for what happened to his brother, and once again, uh, a lot of suits of cars and action sequences are involved. Fury 7 features Walker's likeness to retire the character. Uh, so, obviously, it's, that was his brother. Yeah. Um, but the film was praised for its action sequences for the tribute and the tribute for Walker. Uh, it was a box office smash hit, breaking in 1.5 billion. Yeah. $190 million budget. Because if you remember when I was talking about six earlier, they made $800 million. Mm. So seven made almost double from Bonkers more or less the yeah. same. Uh, in our 13 is the original Talent Job uh, from 1969, starring obviously Michael Caine, Noel Coward and Benny Hill. Great film. Uh, it's, yeah, it's one of the most iconic and critically acclaimed films of all time. The film is essentially a driving caper set on the continent, featuring several memorable lines and scenes and, of course, the iconic minis. Oh, he's supposed to buy the buddy doors. Yeah, do you know, whether you've seen the film or not, you know the the lines mm. and what that and what is in that car. Everyone knows the minis were in the Italian jobs, driven by Michael Caine, whether you've seen the film or not. Mm. And that is exactly what 
proves that it is such a cult film. Even if you ever saw it, red, white and blue cars in a row, you think, oh, Italian job. Yeah. If you're a fan of cars driving a British humour, then you've probably already seen it, to be fair. If you haven't, what are you waiting for? Driving films really don't get much purer than this one. Inner 12 is another Fast and Furious film. This time we go backwards a little bit to Fast 5. So this got 7.3. Oh, sorry, I mentioned Italian job got 7.2 um, on IMDb. Uh, so Fast Five got 7.3. Vin Diesel, Paul Walker, Dwayne Johnson. You know the, uh, how it works. The final Fast and Furious film, though, to be on this list. So technically, Fast Five is the best Fast and Furious film, according to IMDb. Um, it's one that achieved the high score on IMDb, as I just mentioned, and perhaps the most notable for the introduction of Dwayne Johnson. And obviously, since Five, Dwayne Johnson, Johnson being a part of the Fast and Furious franchise is standard. It's where it took off as like a high-profile action film, I think, at that point. Yeah, yeah. All that will take, yeah, yeah. So Fast Furious were praised, for, as usual, for its action sequence and over-the-top thrills from start to finish. Critics also noted that it was able to breathe new life into the franchise from the downturn in positive reviews from the first to the fourth. So obviously the first was great. Second was, some people would say, no, no, second was, to no, the third was Tokyo Drift. The fourth started to be a bit downturn, then the five revived it again. Um, and it's a must-watch for anyone who's into racing and danger aspects of driving films. I'm not surprised that some of the earlier Fast and Furious films didn't make it into the top, because this is critics that at the time of the film's release. So yeah. people would have known Fast and Furious was going to blow up and become such a massive cult hit. Yeah. Whereas uh, like Fast, Fast 4, I can see like the downturn start to happen. Um, it's a bit like a John Wick film, I guess, isn't it? Yeah, and it's not much action to it. It's just action non-stop. In at number 11 is perhaps the beginning of driving films that are not just great driving films, they're just great films. And it's Thelma and Louise, which scored um, 7.4, one of the most iconic films of all time, not just driving films. Um, Susan Sarandon, Gina Davis and Harvey Keitel uh, are the main uh, actors. Uh, so Thelma Louise is the most one of the most famous films of all time, period. Two besties set out on a road-driven adventure, escaping the law and having the time of their lives. This was both a box office and critical success with praise heaped on the two main stars, Davis and Sarandon, and to be honest with you, since then I don't think those two actresses ever topped this film. Um, as well for the soundtrack itself, which is quite iconic in its own right, uh, Thelma Louise may well be one of the best road-trip driving films of all time, an example of how driving films doesn't have to be macho, and masculine to be awesome. Now we get serious because now we are going down the list of the top 10 driving films of all time. And at number 10 is Bullet. I don't think I need to explain this, but I will anyway. Got a score of 7.4 on IMDb and stars the late Steve McQueen, Jacqueline Bissett, and Robert Vaughn. And Bullet is arguably one of Steve McQueen's greatest performances ever. The film isn't strictly a car slash driving film, but heavily features two of the most iconic cars um, ever, and possibly they became iconic on the back of Bullet. And that's a 68 Mustang GT on the Dodge Charger in one of the most legendary movie car chases ever captured on film. This film is simply a wet dream for fans of American muscle cars, and even if you're not into the film itself, it will keep you on the edge of your seat from start to finish. Bullet was a critical and box office smash, raking in 42 million from a 4 million budget. And you can now buy a Bullet Edition Mustang as well. They had to do that at some yeah. point, didn't they? Because it is what is the most famous uh, Mustang? Yeah, it's Steve McQueen's Mustang. Mm. 
So in at number nine is cholesterol, which I think we're a bit unsure about putting this one in. Yes, um, yes, I did debate it for quite a length of time, actually. But uh, it features Jamie Foxx, uh, a taxi driver, as well as Tom Cruise as the protagonist, I believe, or I see the film. Uh, Jada Pinkett Smith as well. So that scored 7.5 on IMDb. Uh, however, it's not really a driving club taxi for such a long time that we can't really see it as anything other than like a driving thriller. Um, so arguably one of Tom Cruise's most underrated performances as well. I, I, yeah, I, I wrote that exact line. Yeah. I, yeah, yeah. Tom Cruise has done an awful lot of films and he usually plays a similar character, but I felt in Collateral it's quite underrated. Mm. No, I mean, it's, he, he typically plays like the Mission Impossible style character. Yeah, yeah. That's what you get with Tom Cruise, but this one was like... He's a bad guy. A bit dark, yeah, yeah. Like a manipulator in, in this one. Um, so... This is uh, one of your favourite films, isn't it? Mm. And uh, uh, I believe that many who uh, see this film have enjoyed how the taxi cruising through the town creates sort of a simmering tension at all times, which really drives the performances and plot forward. It's a bit like that recent film with uh, the Spitfires, you know, the, the clock ticking, you know, the sound car is, is that, you know, it, yeah. it builds suspense. Uh, anyway, so at number eight, we've got Two for the Road, and that came out in 1967. An oldie. So this had an IMDb score of 7.5 as well, uh, featuring Audrey Hepburn, Ab- Abbott Finney, and Eleanor Brown. So Two for the Road is an old school rom-com focused around a couple examining their 12-year marriage over a road trip to the south of France. Uh, this is a film for the car aficionado as it features a Mercedes 230SL, MGTD, Triumph Herald, and Alfa Romeo Giulietta. Obviously that's not the modern Giulietta, but... Um, we've also got a BW microbus and a Ford County Squire. So the cars are used to emphasise the time jumps before, like between sequences. Uh, Two for the Road is a seriously good film, which just subtly hints at how important yet sort of cars and travelling is to a relationship and families. Uh, I must watch for fans of classic cars. Of course, obviously cars weren't classics at the time. But the film made uh, a loss at the box office because it wasn't critically acclaimed. I think it's because it's a bit boring. Oh, sorry, but it was critically acclaimed. So it was well respected, but didn't do well. With the public. Yeah, it's not it's no. not a cinema film. It's a DVD or a VHS yeah. or whatever it was back then. Straight to DVD, you reckon? Yeah. <laughs> Straight to VHS, yeah. So, up next, we have Jewel. That was uh, 1971, featuring Dennis Weaver, Jacqueline Scott and Eddie Firestone. Brilliant, brilliant film. One of your favourites? It's one of my favourites, yeah. The tension is, is palpable. It's unbelievable. It's uh, a road horror film, isn't it? So it was uh, directed by Steven Spielberg, which quite surprised me, actually. Yeah, it's his first ever film he directed. Is it? Yes. Ah, so it's uh, his very first full-length feature, uh, seeing Dennis Weaver's David Mann try to escape from the never-ending pursuit by a truck driver. The truck driver is never fully seen once in the film, which creates a massive amount of tension and terror from the start to end, as one of the best examples of a chase-style driving film that you're ever going to see. Uh, that's a big claim, but it is a, a simple low-budget film that has been widely praised for keeping the viewer constantly terrified of when the truck will next appear and if David will ever actually escape alive. Uh, why the truck driver is after man is never explained. Watch this if Cars and Horror is your thing. Yeah, I highly I recommend watching that. When, when you don't see a villain in a horror film, Jaws. it's scary up until that point, isn't it? It's like the, uh, the truck driver is yeah. Jaws on, on road. As soon as you know what you're scared of, that's, it stops being scary, in my opinion. In at number six, it's Baby Driver, a very recent one. And before I even get into the film itself, because films have been along for so long, creating a new film that enters into a 
top 10 list is hard work mm. because there's already stiff competition. But Baby Driver did it effortlessly. The only thing that really takes the shine off Baby Driver, unfortunately, Kevin Spacey. is Kevin Spacey. Yeah. Um, but you can't really take that away from Ansel, Elgore, Lily James, Elsa Gonzalez, John Hamm, Jamie Foxx, unbelievable performances. Um, and like I said, it's one of the newer films on the list and has some of the best performances, uh, best driving scenes, and in particular, best soundtracks from all time. Yeah, not just driving soundtracks, soundtrack, a soundtrack. Mm. So Baby Driver is a simple story, actually, of a person, you know, a guy got nicknamed Baby, who owes a debt to Doc, played by Kevin Stacey, to repay the debt that he must be the uh, pay the debt, and the, the way he does that, he has to be the wheelman for a couple more heists. How we get into the debt in the first place isn't really explored. It's not the point. Uh, but the problem is, even when the debt is paid, and this is where the film really takes off, Doc still wants more mm. from Baby. Uh, it's an amazing film that will keep you hooked. Uh, and the fantastic and the interactions between all of the cast uh, and the incredible driving sequence and the stunning soundtrack, it's like from start to finish, you are engrossed. You can watch it over and over and over again without getting bored. Yeah, the main so character well is, is almost like... It's a bit of a blank canvas, and it's yeah. like the the you, the viewer, you are the character. Doesn't talk much, listen to music all the time. If anything, the, the plot is moved forward by everyone but the main character. Mm. Uh, my favourite performances are possibly Jamie Foxx or John Hamm's characters, to be, to be honest. Um, the cars themselves aren't even iconic either. No, it's, a, it's, it's not even about the driving. I think the most hope of the Subaru they used... Uh, it was eventually auctioned off. I can't remember how much for, but it was uh, a rear wheel drive swaps Subaru. And then they also had a, was it a Dodge Challenger or something in the film? Or, like, no, it was a Hellcat. It was a Hellcat they had, didn't it, later on in the film, the red one. Even yeah. if you're not a fan of driving films, you should be watching this film, is yeah. my honest opinion. Uh, right. I think everyone has probably thought, yeah, I, I see that why that is on the list. But I'm going to start now with there's two, in the top five now, there's two films that I think a lot of listeners are going to be like, what? First one is Taste of Cherry from 1997, which scored an absolute monstrous 7.7 IMDb, so universally acclaimed by critics. It stars Homayun Ashadi, Abdul Rahman Bagheri, and Afshin Koshid Bakhtiari. It's incredible that this film is not more known, to be honest, because it is actually... It's an art house film. Mm. It's a cinematic ma- masterpiece. It is a driving film at Harbour with a serious story behind it, which is rare in a film of its genre. The plot focuses on Mr. Badi, who's planning to commit suicide and is travelling over the country to find someone who'll assist him to do it. The film tackles the topic of mortality and dignity in death with the driving portion of a vehicle uh, there for the plot to move forward, literally and metaphorically. It is a must-watch for fans of cinema, but get, but I don't think it's a must-watch for people who are into racing games, okay, games, films. Um, but if you're looking for classic cars and driving thrones, this this isn't it. In at number four is another one of these films, and it's called The Yellow Mercedes, or sometimes Mercedes on Mon Amour. Uh, MDB score even higher than the previous one of 7.8 out of 10, getting close to perfection, to be honest. Stars Ilyash Salman, Valérie Lemoine, and Miki Sebastian. The Yellow Mercedes is a Turkish film, believe it or not, which delves deep into the mind of a labourer as he drives from Germany back to his native Turkey. 
It's not necessarily a traditional driving film, but like so many other films from the list, The Yellow Mercedes is an important plot tool to drive the character and story forward. The film was critically acclaimed and a masterpiece of both Turkish and world cinema. And if anyone's listening, well, you know, if you're not entirely keen on the film yourself, why are you putting on the list? It's because technically it is a driving film and this list isn't there for just fans of Fast and Furious. It's for people who just want a driving film. I mean, who are we to say what, you know, what people are into when they search yeah, for driving films. Like yeah, film. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, Chris, what's the top three? So we've got Drive at number three in 2011. I actually feel like Baby Driver is a bit of a spiritual successor to this film. Um, yeah. It's uh, featuring Ryan Gosling, has an IMDb score of 7.8. Massive. So Drive is a sensational action drama which is Gosling play a Hollywood stunt driver who moonlights as a getaway driver. Uh, the opening sequence of this film is very good, and I think uh, it's quite critically acclaimed. It's probably why it's uh, ranked so high on the uh, IMDb leaderboard. Um, so the film itself is regarded as one of the best of all time, and certainly in the most, if not all, top ten driving films of all time. Um, Driver's Place praised for its editing, pacing, soundtrack, and truly organic relationship between the characters. Driver is as much about driving as it is about the people. In its essence, it's just a, a heist film, but modernised to fit with uh, the world in which it's based in, which is 2011. Um, we thoroughly recommend it to everyone to watch this film. As a point of perspective, having so little driving in a film can be in a driving film and be perfectly executed. It was a, a really good film drive, like the suspense that you build in it, it. It can get a little bit boring to some, especially if you're re-watching it. Yeah. But uh, it's just... Well, the thing is, you don't get a score of 7.8 on IMDb being mm. a poor film. And Ryan Gosling is probably one of my one of the the most versatile actors around, mm. and he can he can play any sort of character. And to be honest, quite often he plays characters who are cool. Yeah, and he is. Yeah, especially in this film as well. I think this film actually um, is popular for the outrun kind of aesthetic, you know, looks. Which we've covered in our uh, driving driving yes racing films of all time. Anyway, so at number two. So silver medal is Mad Max Fury Road in 2015. Another modern film in the top five? Yes. Uh, I think it was a big name that probably uh, got this, uh, you know, so many critics looking at this film. The one thing in particular about this is as good as a drive is, getting a score of 7.8, uh, so far on the list they've gone up by e- increments of one, but Mad Max Fury Road scored an 8.1, so a clear 0.3 more than drive. Mm. And there's a bit of a gulf between almost the top two and the, the top 23 before it. Interestingly, you know, there's a, only a two year gap between number two and number one, but we'll get to that, so no spoilers. So, Mad Max Fury Road features Tom Hardy once again, um, Charlie's Theron, and Nicholas Holt. Uh, Mad Max Fury Mode is the fourth entry in the Mad Max series and the sequel to Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. It's the first without Mel Gibson at the helm. Interestingly, though, uh, both Tom Hardy and Charlie's Theron have appeared in separate films, which have already featured in this list of best driving films ever made. Um, so it was a lot before we mentioned Tom Hardy had his, uh, his stint. So Fury Road can only be described as a non-stop action driving thrill ride with some of the most incredible vehicular sequences ever captured on film. Uh, it does have a plot, which is great, but for the sake of this list, it's all about driving. Um, so we put it here for the driving sequences that have made it so popular. The film is 
the ultimate for people looking for driving thrills and needs to be seen to be believed. Yeah, it's non-stop. Bit of a bonkers film, isn't it, really? Yeah, from start to finish, yeah. it is It is just absolutely edge of your seat. It's quite difficult to keep... 110% adrenaline. Yeah, it's quite difficult to keep the attention of the viewer with a character who is pretty much a bit of a mute, mm. doesn't say much, but it's the driving that speaks instead of the characters, yeah. and it is the ultimate driving pressure, uh, pleasure for petrol heads. So, speaking of the best film, Petrol Heads, um, the certified best film, it, number one is Rush. Um, so, Rush is a technically joint first with Mad Max Fury Road. However, as this is about driving films, Rush is a lot more relevant than Mad Max in that regard. This one is about racing. So, featuring Daniel Bruhl, Chris Hemsworth and Olivia Wilde, uh, this had an IMDb score of 8.1, just like Mad Max. Uh, so in our opinion, the best driving film of all time is Rush. It's a Hollywood retelling of the rivalry between Formula One drivers James Hunt and Nicky Lauda from the 1970s. It pips Mad, Mad, Mad Max to the post because it's an ultimate blend of driving action sequences, drama and realism. We honestly feel that fans of driving and racing will get everything they've ever wished for in this film. It was widely acclaimed by critics and was a box office success making 98 million from a 38 million pound budget. It's not quite fast and furious levels, but different kind of film. Uh, the portrayal of Formula One Legends was near perfect by Brule and Hemsworth, and viewers will be sucked in by the thrills and suspense. It's an amazing film, definitely worth a watch. I don't think anyone can argue with the top two. No. I don't think it matters what order they came in, but Rush is absolutely fantastic from start to finish, and anyone who's remotely interested in cars will enjoy it. And even, even if you're not even that bothered about cars, the characters themselves are great, hence, why I scored so well, and that is our 25 list um, of the best driving films of all time. We hope you've enjoyed it. Um, to hear about you know our opinions and uh, and all the rest of it. If you've got any feedback for us, if you disagree with it, obviously it's not really our opinion. All we've done is just cur curated the list. But if we've completely missed one that perhaps critic critics have got wrong or something like that, please let us know and we may update or make a sequel in the future. But again, it's one of the more uh, fun segments we've ever done for the All Callison podcast. Uh, so we hope uh, this is just as successful as all the other non-topic ones we've ever done. Uh, thanks very much for listening. But now we're going to do our usual features of the Q&A, uh, customer reviews, and Chris's hot deals of the week. Thanks very much. So to kick off our Q&A section, the first question is from local boy Jimmy from Northwich, who says, why do you blog and podcast about snow when we haven't got snow and we won't be getting snow for a while and may not even get snow at all? Well... That's a fair question, to be, to be honest. But um, when it comes to sort of writing articles and, and, and things like that, we always try to stay ahead of, of what's coming in the future. We think that once the snow is here, we write the blog post, uh, we do the podcast, and it's a bit too late. So because we think that, you know, there may be snow this winter, we, uh, and, and, well, winter is coming literally in a couple of weeks, uh, that we try to get as much uh, winter car care articles as we can now to help uh, our listeners and readers in advance to be able to deal with the extreme weather when it does arrive here. Um, there's also an element of when it comes to search engines, if you were to write an article um, this today and post it, it may not appear for searches for a couple of weeks. So uh, with that in mind, uh, we want to post it now in case it did snow uh, you know, a couple of weeks after we finished that article and the podcast. But yeah, a good question. Thanks very much, Jimmy. Our second question comes from Hamed from Manchester, and he's got two questions. Question number one is, what is uh, your Christmas opening times? And the second question is, 
Do cars still get delivered while you're closed? Question number one is we close on, so we are not open Christmas Eve and we reopen on the 2nd of January. Question number two is yes, cars still get delivered between these times, not including obviously the bank holidays, Christmas Day, New Year's Day. The cars can still be delivered, but um, obviously because we are closed, um, you know, we are not contactable, but in terms of deliveries, there isn't anything that we do anyway, because we don't do the uh, deliveries ourselves. There is no need for us to be open to facilitate the deliveries anyway. But obviously, there are certain members of staff who will still continue to, to read and reply to urgent emails over Christmas if you do have an urgent problem during that time. Thanks very much for that question. It's a good one. And the last question we've got is from Sarah from Norfolk, who asks... Can you smoke in a leased car? Um, so, if you're driving a commercial vehicle, um, or if the business has leased a commercial vehicle and you're using it, then smoking is very unlikely to be prohibited at all. Um, but if you are leasing a vehicle, technically the answer is yes, you can smoke in that vehicle. But the all car leasing sort of official stance on this it is extremely um not recommended um for quite a few reasons actually the first first reason is obviously if there's any damage to the upholstery or anywhere else in the car you will have to pay for those repairs as per the fair wear and tear policy and smoking damage particularly on seats and stuff like that can be a very very expensive repair to make the second thing is um Smoking smell is very difficult to get out of um, of seats, and it, if it's bad enough uh, when the car is handed back, you know you may be charged for some kind of um, you know when a, a valeting fee or something like that to get rid of the smell before it gets um, sold. So um, really, it, it's not a question of whether you can smoke; it's whether you should smoke uh, because it is a leased vehicle. Personally, I just I just wouldn't take the chance because the risks far outweigh, obviously, the benefits. It's a really good question, actually, um, to the point that we, um, straight after this podcast recording, I'm, I'm probably going to write this short guide for the website because we have uh, no information on this question on the website, which is a bit of an oversight on my part, which I apologise, but thanks very much for the question. This is pretty much the, the whole point of the question and answer session in the first place. So, yeah, thanks very much for that question. Now for our last section where I'm just going to read through a couple of the vehicle reviews we've got since the last podcast. And we have recorded this podcast more or less in sequence um, to the last one. So, it, it, well, it was only about a couple of hours ago um, that we recorded that last episode. Um, so we've only had four vehicle reviews since then, which is, isn't a great amount, but we'll go through them anyway. So the first one is from Darren, who has leased a 420i M Sport Auto, a 4 Series Grand Coupe. Um he says, great motorway cruiser, handles nicely and plenty of room for the ankle biters in the back seats. <laughs> Would have gone for the diesel, if not for the impressive rates on the petrol model. I pretty much put the difference towards fuel. Very happy with the car, as to be expected from a BMW. So a fan of the German whip there, clearly. Uh, next up is Rob Cockcroft, who leased a Picanto 125, 1.25, sorry, 3 5 dot automatic. Quite a rare car, actually, an automatic Picanto. He says, it's a real nice car. Very economical, and the infotainment is serviceable enough. It's very basic on the inside that we were expecting, but with it being a Picanto, uh, with it being, sorry, a Picanto, but I have to mark it down as it does take an 
age to warm up and the wind noise is a bit louder than I would have hoped. Still, it's a very good practical and cheap car, great for the city, brackets Birmingham. And yeah, that's a good point there. I, uh, I've i driven a, a similar car, a C1 in the past, um, and yeah, I, kn I knew what I was getting when I leased that car, but at the same time, the, the wind noise... Um, is quite intrusive and I don't know if there's an awful lot we can do about it while keeping the car cheap but yeah that is a bit of a drawback from these small little cars but I suppose it's because he probably took um, a city car out on the motorway um, speeds which well it should be able to handle it but it's not designed for that kind of drive so that's probably it but maybe Robert will want to send us a message and verify if I'm right or not anyway uh, a Tamworth, who leased a tasty Tesla Model 3, uh, standard edition. Um, they said that it's absolutely fantastic. It was quite a long wait time because it's a brand new model. Yeah, yeah, yeah it is a long wait time for a Tesla. If you are looking for a Tesla, it, it is a long wait time, but it's nothing to do with us, simply because, obviously, it's um, it's been around for a while now, but it's the factories and all the rest of it, especially in the UK market, still, and, they, and I don't think Tesla build loads and loads of models just to just wait on in like a warehouse somewhere to be bought but anyway it's absolutely fantastic it was quite a long uh, long wait time because it's a brand new model but well worth it and it allowed me to choose the autonomous driving package and blue paint not had the car for a long time but enjoying it so far thanks all car and uh, the last one i'm just going to do here is from phoebe clough who's leased a two series active tourer 225 xci performance um has said it's um, high specification and it showed in the quality of the build, drive and all-round driving experience. Controls via the BMW interface are intuitive and clear. Setting up driver profiles, for example, is straightforward. I've been driving this car for eight months and do not regret my choice. The hybrid option suits, although with a range of 20 miles, you'd need to be a town driver uh, who judges the car every day. Actually, uh, correction, there's one more review I want to go through, and it's from Kate, who leased a X4 X-Drive 20D M Sport 5-door step auto. Bit of a mouthful. She rates it five stars and has says, when I was looking for a new car, I suggested the X4. All my friends and family said that the X4 didn't look to the looks of the X3 and X5. Um, X4 having a bit of a coupe look that's similar to the X6 as opposed to a traditional SUV look. Uh, that's my words, not hers. Um, and I should probably look at those cars instead. Thankfully, I ignored them and bit the bullet. And guess what? As soon as I was delivered, it was delivered. They all changed their minds and instantly are now want one. I love my new X4. It's really spacious and fun to drive and it's nice. Feeling like a queen on the road because of how high up you are in the driving seat. To anyone debating the X4, I'd say go for it. Thanks, ACL. And just a point uh, that Kate brought up there is obviously um, when you do research your own car, it's always best to take the opinions of like magazines, even at, you know our own website, the reviews of other people who are after the car. But at the end of the day, always get the car that you want because, uh, you know, if you go for cars that other people like or dislike, um, you may end up getting a car that you're a bit meh about, but it's most important for a car that you enjoy. Anyway, thanks very much for those reviews, and we look forward to going through more of them uh, next podcast. And now, as per usual, I hand the reins over to Chris Moneyman Taylor. So, Chris, what deals have you got for our listeners, readers, visitors, whatever, this podcast? Okay, so our Black Friday processing fee offer is now over. So unfortunate if you missed out on that, but it's not all doom and gloom because I've got three Golf GTR performance deals this week. Uh, the first one is the three-door model starting from £222 a month plus initial payment. That's the manual. Uh, then there's the, the equivalent five-door model starting from 229 a month plus initial payment. 
and then there's the 5.3SG model from 2.3716 a month plus initial payment. All of these are two-year deals, but of course you can have over three employers as well, but the price does go up ever so slightly. But I'll leave a link to each three of the deals in the show notes below for you to check out. Uh, but that's it for this week's episode. Thank you for listening and we'll see you in the next one.